Hello, my name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, de-political occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. How is it that this took so long to become part of our modern culture when this has been around for thousands of years? Because I think that it's, been, it's actually been part of modern culture for at least 500 years, but it's always been mixed with other things. So it was mixed with the occult, with, with astrology, with alchemy, ah. with magic. You know, pe- pe- they've always been Kabbalists. It's only in the last, well, 30, 40 years that it's sort of come into its own in the, in the modern world as a discipline on its own. So how do you define what Kabbalah is? Is, is there a book that helps, to, like an ancient book? That there, are many, there are many, many books. Uh, um, I mean, the, the, sort of the, the, the Bible of Kabbalah, if you like, is a book called the Zohar, and there's a big dispute about when that was written. Nobody ever heard of this book until the, the 12th century, but it claims to have been written in the 2nd century, so the mystics believe it was written in the 2nd century and was hidden away and emerged in the 12th century, and the academics believe it was written in the 12th century. But that is, it's a very long book. It's, I don't know how many volumes, dozens of volumes. It's a commentary on the Bible, but inside it, if you understand what it's talking about, it's hard to understand, but if you understand it, it's that that's the Kabbalistic system. Um, basically, Kabbalah is a way of understanding how God, who is beyond all imagination, can act on a world which we can see and feel around us. So, it's, it's, what's, what's the connection between the two? What's the mechanics which, by which God acts on the world? That's a very simple way of putting it. Do we know who is responsible for the writing of it? Or I'm guessing there's more no, than we one. Don't. Well, we, again, again, there's you know the, the part of the dispute. But the people who believe it's written in the second century believe it's written by a man called Shimon by Yochai, who lives in Israel, um, he dies around about 150, 160 of this, uh, of, of, of this era, the common era. Um, the academic view is it's written in Spain, round about the 12th century by a group of people um, in, in, in Castile who, who are a group of Kabbalists, one man in particular called Moses de Leon, but also his friends as well. It's not written as a book, it's written as a number of different pamphlets mm-hmm. which, which are put together. Was uh, Shakespeare intrigued by it? Shakespeare knew about it. I mean, so, you know, certainly there are, there are references in Shakespeare. Hey, guys. 
Welcome to the Oddcast featuring the Odd Man Out. And this week I have a guest that I'm super excited about. Uh, she's written an awesome book and I got it when it first came out and it was mind blowing because it's one of those subjects that a lot of people don't know anything about. So let me welcome Deanne Loper and she wrote a book called Kabbalah Secrets Christians Need to Know. Deanne? Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll read the subtitle on your book and uh, could be controversial if people didn't know what you were talking about. And I'm sure that's probably got raised some eyebrows, but uh, it says an in-depth study of the kosher pig and the gods of Jewish mysticism. But that's basically what Kabbalah is, is Jewish mysticism. Am I right? Yes, that's um that's one way of saying it. Absolutely. It's the mystical side of Judaism. Um, and not all Jews are into that. Uh, primarily, I believe it's um, Chabad, the Chabad Lubavitch sect of Judaism and the Hasidic branch of Judaism. But it is, uh, does seem to be um, subtly making inroads uh, strong inroads into Christianity lately. I've noticed that too. There's also new age elements to it. And uh, also I've studied quite a bit about Freemasonry and there's a lot of parallels there as well. But um, I remember pretty early on in my podcast, after reading your book, uh, I had read that uh, Jared Kushner and Ivanka attended a Chabad synagogue. And so I looked into that and I learned, well, Chabad, they do study the Kabbalah. So I was kind of surprised that that wasn't a bigger story, but, uh, you know, it just, it just wasn't. And uh, I did a show about it. And <laughs> if anyone wants to check that out, but as I've read, Kabbalah means the receiving. Is that correct? Yes. It means to receive or um, tradition, to receive tradition that is handed down. And the reason I wrote the book, I can tell how I came to write about the book, but the reason I wrote this book is that uh, I've been a Christian for over 30 years, and in my circles of Christians and the churches that I've attended, it was always just assumed, you know, when the Lord Jesus returns, this is pretty much how, how it goes, when the Lord Jesus returns, it's going to be the, the second coming as far as Christians are concerned, but the first coming of the Messiah for Jews who rejected, for the most part, Jesus Christ. And as I began to look into Kabbalah, it's not uh, the same Messiah at all. And many of the beliefs as far as the fall of man, um, while well, really going back to creation and the fall of man, and salvation and redemption are opposite ends of the spectrum to what Christians believe. And um, even as I did the research, I was shocked many times over and over to find out what I was discovering in my research. I imagine so. I've got a couple other books on Kabbalah that I had before I read yours. Uh, because I was interested in learning what it was about, because my show, I kind of tried to dig into some of the occult beliefs and what they really believe and how they've kind of seeped into mainstream and into Christianity and everything else. 
But those books are just really hard to read. They're kind of um, a lot of those authors like to bloviate and I think they just write to see themselves right. <laughs> and uh, so your book was so uh, concise and to the point and, and so clearly well written out. But it's a if you don't know anything about Kabbalah, it's it's pretty tough to learn it. And uh, that's one thing that I noticed right off the bat when I started reading those other books. Yeah, and um, thank you. I, I really take that as a compliment because I prayed the entire time I was writing this book that the Lord would help me make it simple, just simple enough for the average person to understand. Because like you, I had read so many not, but I had read a lot of books on Kabbalah per se. I read some. I read books uh, by New Age authors and New Age leaders. Um, I read some of uh, Bailey, Alice Bailey's Theosophy books and Helena Blavatsky. And they're very, they're so mystical and mystically written. Even Manly Hall stuff, it's like it's meant to keep it a secret. And I wanted my book to be like you said, just simple, straightforward. And so as I prayed, I, you know, just asked the Lord to lead me. And I tried to break each chapter down to like a subject on creation or Metatron, you know, the angel Metatron or Tikkun, which is part of, you know, uh, humanity having to save the planet. And, uh, the part about the kosher pig, that's um, something that I set out to write about, but even that was so concealed. It took me almost to the end of the book to actually find out what that really means in Kabbalah and in the writings of the Midrash. So I had to dig deep, but there again, by the grace of God, I hope it's a book and others have told me a book that, that it is a book that is, is simple for the average reader. I definitely think so. And that is what you need because uh, people are not going to stick with something that's really complicated and drones on and on. And, you know, I've read bits and pieces of, of Manly P. Hall and these other writers, and it just, uh, it gets really monotonous. And, and, and frankly, I get just bored to death with it. And, and it's hard to learn when you're bored to death. So uh, your book definitely kept my attention. Um, where would be a good place to kind of start at uh, Kabbalah in, in kind of the meaning? Um, I know one thing that I thought was interesting was the whole tree of life. And it hit me one day. Well, the tree of life, is that the same as the going back to the Garden of Eden and, and the tree of good and evil or the tree of knowledge? But uh, where would you where, where do you think would be a good place to start for those who don't know too much about it? Um, yeah, we can talk about that. I can go into that. Um, I usually just try to explain why I researched this because I was raised in church and I fell away. Long story, long story short, came to Christ, actually received Jesus Christ at the age of 24. And he delivered me out of the occult and out of some new age practices. So through that, I kind of had an eye and an ear to be able to hear or see when it was coming into the church and, and even from the pulpit. And so I wrote the book 
because I think it's important for Christians to take everything anyone says. I don't care who it is, if it's your favorite television evangelist or someone on YouTube or your pastor or your friend, take every word that someone is speaking to maybe encourage you or teach on a subject and take it back to the word of God. So from a very young age, I've always tried to do that. And that's the beginning of what the Bible calls discernment. Okay. So um, through my, um, my experiences with the occult, I was able to detect things coming in, whether it was new age or the occult. And I had, I'd like to go back a little bit further, like right when I got saved, <clears throat> I had my first uh, experience with Messianic Christianity at a very young age. I was 24 years old. Um, my stepfather and his wife were attending a Messianic uh, congregation in Central Florida. Now, the Messianic movement, as I've been able to observe it, seems to be, and it can be, a, a doorway or a gateway into not just Judaism, but some of these mystical practices, and even to the level of what the rabbis teach. So I would go to these meetings occasionally with my father. And um, I mean, this wasn't a little congregation. They were involved with like the International uh, Christian Embassy for Israel. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu used to actually come to their church in Central Florida and speak. And the pastor there did a message. He did a message years ago and one even, even recently saying that in order to take the mark of the beast, Christians are going to have to take the mark of Israel, okay? And that Christians are going to eventually be challenged to stand with Israel and to take this mark and later he did a message and he said that uh, people of Israel already have a mark and it's tefillin. And that's the little black cube that they wrap around their forehead and their arm. And I have a whole section in my book on that. So those are just some of the reasons why I think it's important. You know, back then, when I was 24, 25, I'm like, oh okay, you know, you hear these things. And so that's why I wrote the book to make people aware, especially Christians, if they hear some of these terms or some of these symbols, symbology that's coming through uh, pastors, um, leaders, teachers, then they can be aware. And so what happened, I continued to do uh, the research really for years. I read all the... Uh, pretty much anything I could get my hands on, on like new age leaders. So at the late eighties and nineties, and then I kind of got involved in NAR. Well, I did get involved through friends for about two years. Some friends that I met were really into the new apostolic reformation. They were turning me on to things like the Elijah list. Uh, some of the uh, leaders like uh, IHOP, um, Bob Jones and the Kansas City prophetic movement. 
And I noticed in that, again, I would take everything that they said. It didn't take me long to say, whoa, something's wrong here. And there was a real emphasis in that movement on angel encounters and third heaven experiences, among other things. And people were having these angelic encounters with uh, angels manifesting as spheres of light, balls of light coming into their room. And I knew that that was a, a new age practice, but they were teaching that you could go to the third heaven at will whenever you want. And I knew that wasn't right. So I started looking into that. And that was the beginning. I'd say that was about 10 years ago that I really started looking more into Kabbalah because what I found in that uh, part of my research is that not only were Christians having these experiences where you can go up to the third heaven at will whenever you want and have a vision of God sitting on his throne. Not only were Christians experience, experiencing these things, but new, age, new agers, um, Kabbalists, um, those in the occult, witches, shamans, and Christian contemplative mystics. And that's when, that's about the time that the emergent church was also really coming out in Christianity. But what I found was a running theme to all of these, each of these that I studied, they all went back to Kabbalah and this angel Metatron. And that Metatron through deeper research, Metatron is a fallen angel. I, well, I call him a fallen angel. In Kabbalah, Metatron is called the little Yahweh, the yod heh And he is the one that sits on the throne. Okay. And he's written about extensively. I found that he was written about extensively in the Babylonian Talmud and in the third book of Enoch, which is a more Jew Jewish version than the first book of Enoch and all these Jewish sources. So that's, that's basically where I really kind of started to delve more into the research of Kabbalah. And one day as I was doing research and I had planned to write a book, um, but I had no idea the direction the Lord was gonna take this in. I was sitting on the computer one day and I was on YouTube researching, clicking around and this video came up on the sidebar and it was a testimony, shocking testimony of rabbi. And it was um, Benny Hinn's program. And before anybody says, oh, you shouldn't be watching Benny Hinn. Well, <laughs> cause I've gotten you know, criticized for that. Well, I wasn't watching it. It just happened to come up and it was a rabbi's testimony. And my first thought was, oh, wow, great. I would, I love to hear about Jewish people coming to Christ and especially if a rabbi does. And um, so I clicked on it and this rabbi Yitzhak Shapira was on there with Rabbi Jonathan Burness of the Jewish Voice. And Isaac Shapiro was sharing his testimony, but Jonathan Burnus had to help him along because his English is not very well, Mr. Shapiro's, but he was, I could tell right away, he was teaching Kabbalah. And that freaked me out. And I sat there through the entire interview and about 
90 minutes into it, Yitzhak Shapiro made the statement that when Yeshua comes back, now he will not use the name of Jesus Christ. My stepmother that I spoke of earlier went to the Messianic church. She was Jewish and she used the name of Jesus. And I've known other Jews who have come to Christ and use Yeshua or Jesus or both. But Mr. Shapira refuses to use that name. And he said, when Yeshua returns, he's going to destroy Edom. And Edom is Christianity. And that is when the Lord just really turned me in a different direction. And I, I had heard this before. I had read it in some of the rabbinic commentaries that they view Edom the, the Old Testament Edom as Christianity and that Edom is the eternal enemy of Israel and that it will be destroyed when their Messiah returns. So that was basically the springboard that caused me to go even deeper into more of what the rabbis believe and teach and have actually kept it a secret until recently kept it a secret and I've got it quoted. My book is mainly quotes and I've got it quoted in my book that this final redemption must be brought about in a deceptive way to keep what they call the shells of impurity, the klipa, and that's all explained in the book. They've got to keep people from understanding what they're doing. So, they will not interfere with this secret plan. And that, and that goes right along with uh, some of the new age teachings. And also, even if you want to get into the, the political idea of a new world order, so many of these teachings and these occult beliefs are really at the heart of it, teaching pretty similar uh, outcomes. And that's this new world order utopia. And uh, Kabbalah is no different. And they all have another thing in common and that is destroying christianity so yeah i'm sorry i don't mean to interrupt but i just think that's very interesting that they have all that in common uh, no you, it's it's fine you, you can um interrupt anytime you want or interject but the first thing that i found um in my research was a a prophecy uh from the zohar and this prophecy is from a book. Um, the title is called uh, Kol Hator, K-O-L-H-A-T-O-R, Kol Hator. And it was written by a rabbi uh, who they called the Gaon of Vilna or the genius of Vilna. And I quote him quite a bit in the book. But the prophecy, now this... <sighs> His book, I mean, it really goes into detail about the twin messiahs, that there's two messiahs. Um, he talks about Metatron being Messiah Ben Joseph, and it's Metatron working behind the scenes to um, create this war, uh, this religious war against not just Christianity, but the sons of Ishmael as well, who, um, is, who are Islam. And um, yeah, it, it's pretty chilling, but the, the, the prophecy was hidden. 
And this, again, is one of the things that I discovered that caused me to go deeper into the research. It says, uh, I'll just read it here. In the 600th year of the sixth millennium, the gates of wisdom above, Kabbalah, together with the wisdom below, which is science, will be opened up and the world will prepare to usher in the seventh millennium. Okay, so in the 600th year of the sixth millennium, and there's a lot of Kabbalistic teachers who have taken off on this Guyana Vilnius teaching and prophecies, that would have been around 1840, around the Industrial Revolution. And this rabbi, I mean, he has so much encoded into his writings about six and 666 and the number of six being the number of creation as well as redemption, which would be the Hebrew letter Vav. I mean, they believe that the Hebrew letters of the alphabet are, uh, are like spiritual entities and you can communicate with them and they have power and they're, they're the forces working behind the scenes with this angel Metatron to bring all this about. Um, if you want, I can talk about creation and the tree of life and the Sephirot tree. I know you mentioned that earlier. We'll get into that a little bit. You just ask what, you know, where you want to take it. I'm finding what you're saying very interesting. And I just, uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating what they believe. After I read your book, I really got into that for a while. And that was right before I started the podcast. And just, it's almost like one of those things where once you start to look into what they believe, it's almost like you just keep finding more and more things that are astonishing. And you couldn't believe that they weren't out there in the open, or at least more people weren't talking about it. But uh, yeah, just go to whatever you want to talk about. I'm cool with whatever. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's look at their concept of creation and the Sephirot tree, which is what they call the tree of life. I actually call it the tree of knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> but okay, so um, in the Kabbalistic view of creation, there's a couple of different stories. We'll go back to the letters for a minute because this really blew me away even more than the Sephirot tree and how it's constructed and supposed to be the blueprint of the universe. Back to these Hebrew letters being entities. Um, in my book, uh, I think I quote Manly P. Hall, who even talks, he, he's written a lot about this in his book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, and Gershom Sholem, who was a, I think he was the first professor of mysticism at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. So they both said the same thing. I got lots of sources, wanted to confirm everything. I got some of this right out of the Zohar itself, which I was able to um, secure from a, a university for a while. And, and you can read it online. But so the concept of creation in Kabbalah is that this Ein Sof, that is the God not just at the top of the Sephirot tree, which I'll go more into this in a minute, but this is the endless, unknowable, endless light. This is their God that is above the Sephirot tree. So when he set out to create the world, 
he called these uh, letters that are entities, powers and crowns, uh, Manly P. Hall calls them. He calls them up one by one in reverse order. And there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet from Aleph to Tav. So he calls them in reverse and he calls Tav up. And I've got this in the book. And Tav says to the Ein Sof, create the world with me because I am the last letter in the word truth. And when I read this next, what I'm going to say next, I was just shocked. This Ein Sof says to Tav, I cannot create the world with you because you are destined to be the mark engraved on the foreheads of all the righteous. Okay. And the righteous will be designated as the ones who keep the law, keep the Torah from Aleph to Tav, from beginning to end. So that might not come as such a surprise to many, but the Jewish people, for the most part, think that by keeping their commandments and keeping the law, they are saved. And so these letters continue to go up before the Ein Sof and um, he finally creates the world, the world with the letter bait, but then he seals everything with the letter Aleph. So again, these uh, letters are very uh, mystical uh, tools that uh, Kabbalists use to tap in to the spirit world and to see the visions that they are seeing. Um, so then we'll move on to the Sephirot tree. Okay. That's one way that, and it goes hand in hand with what I'm about to say. That is one creation story from Kabbalah, from uh, one of their, probably the oldest book in Kabbalah, the book of formation or the book of creation. It's called the Sefer Yetzirah. And so when Ein Sof begins to make the world, he, he contracts himself into a point of light. And these spheres, these balls of light emanate out of him. And the first one to come out of the Ein Sof and out of this light is Keter. And Keter is at the top. I'm sure that people are listening. Some of them may have seen the Sephirot tree. Some of them have nine. Some of them have 10 globes arranged. These are arranged uh, just like the 32 paths or degrees in Freemasonry. So Keter's at the top. And Keter, he's many things. He's the crown. He's Adam Kadmon not the man Adam, but what they call Adam Kadmon, the divine image. And he's also the creator of the God of the Bible. Now this blew me away when I, when I discovered this. And he's, so he's the creator of the God of Genesis, whom the, who uh, Genesis calls Elohim. And he's androgynous. And so that may have something to do with some of the things we're seeing today. I can't say for sure, but this Keter is the androgynous God. 
And we know that like in Satanism and Luciferianism, we've seen, you know, depictions of the andro androgynous goat. Okay. So from Keter comes Bina. Well, first Hakma. Hakma is wisdom and then Bina. Now, because Keter is androgynous, he can just emanate these spheres of light out from himself. And then this is kind of disturbing, but I, I talk about it in the book. Hakma and Bina come together in a sexual union, which is called Hieroscamos. And then they create the rest of the spheres all the way down the tree. And this Hieroscamos can be depicted by uh, the cube, uh, what some call Saturn's cube or Metatron's cube, or it can be depicted by the six pointed star. So this Hieroscamos goes all the way down and it's actually described as a lightning flash, which I found interesting because Jesus said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So this process goes all the way down to the bottom of the Sephiroth tree, and that's Malkut. That's the last sphere to be created, and that is the earth. And so whereas all the other spheres are in the spirit world, Malkut is in the physical realm, and that is the kingdom, and that is the Shekinah or Shekinah, depending on how you would pronounce that. But what happens, okay, so this entire thing, starting at the top, Keter, which means crown, it's also what I show in my book, it's an image of Adam Kadmon, the first Adam. See, here's another secret I didn't know. There's two Adams in Judaism. So this uh, Adam Kadmon is also depicted as the entire uh model or blueprint the mic the macrocosm so to speak and he creates earthly adam who is the microcosm and i put a lot of these terms in there because so many pastors are using these terms today and they're they may not know it but many of these terms are are in the zohar and they're very old some of these terms just like the word paradigm and paradigm shift harbinger macrocosm, microcosm, critical mass, emergent as above, so below, uh, DNA, the things that we just think, okay, it's, it's the days we live in. Some of these terms are very ancient terms and have been kind of held back from society. So what happens is as this light comes down through each one of these spheres, through from the Einsoff, the spheres cannot contain the light, as Zohar says, so they shatter. And everything goes into chaos. And these are the sparks. Uh, some are the sparks of God, and some become like shells of impurity, the kleepot. Now, some of these sparks go back up to um, Adam Kadmon and others fall into matter and others fall into the abyss. And what happens is Ein Sof, <clears throat> again, gives like beams of light to Keter and Keter, Adam Kadmon at the top, he recreates the universe. So you have a creation and you have a fall. 
you have a, and each of these spheres is also considered like an angelic entity or a crown. It's really, when you think about it in that terms, it's almost like they're veiling the fall of Lucifer in this whole entire story. So Adam Kadmon recreates the universe and then he makes the earthly Adam. And then that's when we get into the story of Genesis. Adam disobeys God. He partakes from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is disobedience to God's command. But the Kabbalistic view of what Adam did is not really, it's not like we view it. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. So God banishes them from the garden. In the Zohar, Adam prematurely separates the tree of knowledge from the tree of life. And therefore, everything again, there's, you have another fall, but it's not like sin as we think of sin. And so the two trees have been separated for almost 6,000 years. And the way to put it all back together, according to the Chabad website, um, I mean, they, you can go right to Chabad. And by the way, Chabad, many people don't know this. Chabad is an acronym for those um, three spheres at the top, Hakma, Bina, and Da'at, which is knowledge. And Da'at is also the abyss. Um, so you've got Hakma, Ha, Bina, Ba, and Da'at. Habad. That's what that stands for. So according to the Zohar, according to the Habad rabbis, and according to some of our messianic rabbis that are in our churches today, uh, the way to fix this world is through tikkun olam. And there's, there's even a ministry, um, I think it's Dan Juster or Juster, He's got a ministry. He's a messianic minister and his ministry is pr pretty big. And he ministers with people like, um, I don't know if he was at the return with Jonathan Kahn, but all of these, there's so many of them. It's not just eats like Shapira. I mean, I'm just shocked how many of these guys are in our churches, but are either they're doing this knowingly or they're alluding to it or they're, I don't like to use the term bedfellows, but that's what they're doing. They're bringing in a lot of this Jewish mysticism. So again, the way to fix the creation and the fall and the brokenness of our world and the universe is through tukun olam. And that basically means uh, obeying the commandments, obeying the law, the 613 laws for Jews and the seven Noahide laws for Gentiles, and then, you know, doing good works, whatever you can do to obey the law and do your good works. This is going to fix the world. And this is called raising the sparks. And this is why the Noahide law and the whole Noahide movement is really it's exploding we don't hear much about it but it really is it's going out from the united nations it's in all nations the spreading of these noahide laws for the gentiles 
And these supposedly were seven laws that Noah gave after the flood for Gentiles. Well, it's not in there. It's not in the Bible. It's not scriptural. Number one, we have the Ten Commandments. Number two, we're under the law of grace and uh, the obedience of faith, which is an obedience from the heart through faith in Jesus Christ. But the rabbis and some of our messianic rabbis in Christianity are, are teaching that these Noahide laws, getting these spread to the Gentiles is critical. It's like the last crucial stage that will bring their Messiah back, their Moshiach. And, um, and that, of course, he's going to come and, and set up his, uh, his temple and his throne in earthly Jerusalem. And some of them like Yitzhak Shapira, go as far to teach. And I know that the Schofield Bible taught this. Um, Schofield Bible came out around the same time this Zohar prophecy in the 1800s said that when the Messiah comes back, he's going to set up his throne in earthly Jerusalem, and we're going to go back to animal sacrifices. We're going back under the Levitical priesthood with a third temple. But then they give you a disclaimer and say, well, that's only for memorial purposes. Well, we don't need memorial sacrifices. We have the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. He is our sacrifice for sin. So there would be no reason to go back to the Le Levitical priesthood when the Messiah comes. And this is why I just stress in my book, especially at the end, I tell everybody, if you don't understand anything that I'm saying or what's in this book, I end it with the words of Jesus who said, if they say the Messiah is here or there, don't go, don't follow them. Because like lightning out of the sky, he's coming. And even that, I mean, they could put a I don't know, a holographic show, you know, you hear about Project Blue Beam, they could do anything. But the way I see it, if this world is still standing as it is in sin and corruption, there is no way that Jesus Christ is going to come back and set up a kingdom and go back to these earthly sacrifices when he's the, he's the priest. It says he's the high priest forever. Okay. And so the main things that I want people to understand what these rabbis, especially, you know, someone like Yitzhak Shapira, the main premises of his book is that the kingdom of God has not been established, nor is the redemption complete. And that it will only be complete when this Mashiach that they say is Metatron secretly. I mean, they're using that to show, Oh, there was always a divine Messiah, but um, that is not the way that the apostles or, you know, any of Jesus's followers witnessed. They witnessed of Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, and, and resurrection. So they're saying that redemption is not complete. But we as Christians need, really need to get back to the word. We need to know what the Bible says, because it, it says in Colossians um, chapter let me see here, chapter 1, verse 12 and 14. When, when we believe on Jesus, we are spiritually, we become a new creation. We are taken out of that kingdom of darkness. Satan is the God of this world. 
we're taken out of that kingdom of darkness and we are transferred into the kingdom of the son of God, Jesus Christ. Now in Hebrews 9 and I think 13, it says that Jesus became that high priest forever um, after the order of Melchizedek and he entered the holy place and by his blood, what did he obtain for us? He obtained, he obtained eternal redemption by the blood, the everlasting blood of his covenant. So when you hear a preacher or a rabbi tell you that God did not establish his kingdom just because we can't see it, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. When you hear someone say that, you need to take it back to scripture. And the blood is everlasting. And so, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, those are just a few things. The, the tikkun olam, the repair of the world, um, that's how we're going we're gonna to fix this world. And of course, that goes back to, like you said, with so many of the New Age teachings. But what I found after more than 30 years of research is much of this is rooted in Kabbalah. And of course, I mean, the Jewish encyclopedia admits that these concepts of, you know, the magical, mystical letters go all the way back to ancient Chaldean and Chaldean magic. This is Mystery Babylon. At least it's the spiritual side of Mystery Babylon. Yeah. And wow, uh, you said a lot. That's it's mind blowing. And a lot of this stuff is just hard to believe that, like I said before, that more people haven't caught on to some of these things. And like with the Kushners and uh, I know even even President Trump had won a Tree of Life award. You have to wonder if if this kind of thought isn't more prevalent in some of the political things that we see. The, the, the importance with the, the letters, the numerology and different things like that. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I read on um, theosophycanada.com, they were comparing Kabbalah to theosophy, and they were just saying it was basically two interpretations of the same thing. And then I know you have in your book uh, some quotes from Albert Pike on uh, Kabbalah and how Freemasonry comes out of the Kabbalah. So, so much of this, of these new age teachings seem to have been inf influenced by it quite a bit. It's a kind of mind blowing, really, when you uh, think about it. You know, um, there is, I, I, I truly believe there is a political side to this Kabbalistic, I call it sorcery and these letters. Um, and I've got something I can share about that, you know, regarding, regarding Kushner and Ivanka, I know that I saw that during this last um, presidential term during the campaign, Ivanka had gone to uh, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson's grave. Can't remember what they call that, but it's in Brooklyn, the hotel or something like that i mean it's a big thing I, I read all about it it's a big ritual well that rabbi um menachem mendel schneerson was called the rebbe and he was like the main promoter of these noahide laws like evangelistically and 
they believed that he was the Messiah and that when he passed away, I think in the 90s, they some still believe that he's going to rise from the dead. I, I suppose the really um, extreme uh, Hasidic ones do. But concerning the, the letters, okay, I don't know if you have seen this, but uh, I'd say about in 2017, there was a new synagogue that was dedicated in Israel um, just beneath the um, Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. And it's actually, it was carved out of the stone and it was, um, some call it the chamber of hewn stone. And there were, I think Leland Jones did a couple of videos by that name, the chamber of hewn stone. They're very interesting. And there it's an underground synagogue. There are 70 seats under there for the 70 Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin were basically gone for 2000 years. The Sanhedrin are the ones that uh, conducted the trial of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in the chamber of hewn stone, what was a room adjacent to the temple at that time when Jesus was, was here. And after the destruction of the temple, I don't know how long it was before the Sanhedrin um, dissipated or dissolved. Now the Pharisees were able to survive for the last 2000 years and they're the ones that codified the oral uh, Torah or the oral law into what we know today as the Babylonian Talmud. And from there, later as they migrated out, Ted Pike has a very excellent, excellent book on this, um, Israel, Our Duty, Our Dilemma. And he, after the destruction, many of those Jews fled back to Babylon and that's where they codified the Babylonian Talmud. And then through, you know, hundreds of years, they migrated up into Eastern Europe. This is really where the mystical teachings came together into like what we know as Kabbalah, but they were always there. So in this chamber of hewn stone, this new synagogue that was dedicated a few years ago, there are political leaders, um, our own secretary, of state. It's really chilling to watch these videos by Leland Jones. Uh, Mike Pompeo, our former Secretary of State, and uh, I think the president of one of the South American nations, I don't know if it's Brazil or Venezuela, met with these Sanhedrin and these high-level rabbis, and they're in this chamber of hewn stone, and they're signing documents what is in this chamber that I had to really dig deep to find this? Well, there's a, an ark, what they call the ark is what they put their Torah scrolls in. And it's in the shape of a pomegranate. And this is very symbolic of the new temple, um, Solomon's temple from before and in the writings of Freemasonry because Freemasonry plays a huge part in this rebuilding of a third temple, if they can ever pull it off. There's a, a gold pomegranate in this chamber of hewn, hewn stone and it opens, it has doors on it and that's where they put the ark 
they have a, what is called an ark in every synagogue where they put the scrolls, but engraved in this uh, pomegranate is the Song of Songs and the Shema, the Shema, which is the prayer here, O Israel, the Lord our one, the Lord our God is one. Uh, that's from the book of Deuteronomy, and Jesus actually quoted it. I've got all this in the book, not, not about the pomegranate, but engraved on the pomegranate is those two portions of scripture as well as a Kabbalistic prayer. The letters of this Kabbalistic prayer, which are the Anabakoch, and this is a Kabbalistic prayer that contains this may shock Christians, the 42 letter name of God. In, in my book, I show there's so many different names for God and codes for God and ways to put the letters together in gematria, what's, you know, Kabbalistic numerology is called gematria. But this Anabakoch prayer is like a portal to from this bottom sphere on the Sephirot tree to the seven spheres above it. And I, I have documents, I have research I've done on this and it opens a portal. And what I think is just chilling, I mean, we shouldn't be afraid, but you've got world leaders meeting with this uh, reconvened Sanhedrin that came back together in 2004 after 2000 years of not being here, the ones that, you know, conducted the trial of Jesus Christ. So there is always a political element. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Jason. I mean, there's the spiritual and the political. Um, and I think we've seen that going on throughout history. And I don't, I can't tell you, I have no idea how they're going to, you know, pull the, all this together or how it's going to culminate, or even if it ever will, it's not what I believe. Um, as a Christian, but I certainly think it's important enough that Christians know about it so that they can identify things and they can pray. They can pray for the Jewish people. I have been accused, um, criticized for this book that it's anti-Semitic. I'm not anti-Semitic. Uh, my mother, my stepmother was Jewish. I loved her so much. She has gone on to be with the Lord. I've, I've lived in large cities where there's high Jewish populations. I don't now, but the book is not written in that way. And I want to make that clear what it is really. It's not anti-Semitic. And I say at the beginning of the book, if anything, it's anti-Kabbalah and anti-Luciferian. And it really is just basically a collection or a, a compilation of their own quotes from their own books, their own mystical books that they have kept secret. Uh, from the world for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Yeah, I can, I can testify there's nothing anti-Semitic in it whatsoever. And unfortunately, that's become this blanket term that they throw on anything that might have something to do with anyone who, you know, is Jewish or Israeli or whatever. And that's a shame because there obviously are people who are know authentically anti-semitic but you know it's it's becoming to the point where you know it's almost uh any criticism or any shedding of light on some of these things 
is called anti-Semitic by certain people. And it's kind of like that with, it seems like with everything right now, it's like, I feel like our government is really moving towards trying to make any dissent against what they want to implement uh, seem dangerous. And, and I think it'll be unlawful in the next couple of years, at least uh, part of it anyway. And uh, I wish that uh, people on all the sides of the political spectrums would realize that because we all share the same rights, but I guess that's just uh, the way things are going. But um, yeah. And I, I know that uh, now is there, there's 22 paths to the tree of life. Is that correct? Um, the Sefer Yetzirah says that, but I think that, uh, and then there's 10. I go into the book and I haven't looked at that recently, but there's, I go into the book about that, the 22 paths plus the 10, which would make the 32. Right. Um, but I think there actually might even be more than that uh, from the research that I did, uh, maybe even endless, you know, and you have to have, you know, these passwords. These are like in the center of the Sephiroth uh, tree. Uh, okay. So you, Malkut is the earth. Okay. And then right over that is Yesid. And that's kind of the gateway where, you know, if you're the initiates begin their ascent and they do this like shamanism or new age um, through mystical meditation, med meditating on the letters, meditating on angels. Uh, they even use the deep breathing exercises like um, the Hindus and the Buddhists. So yeah, you ascend up these different levels and at each one of these um, spheres is like, like an angel or a guardian. And, and it's very dangerous. They tell you it's very dangerous. You have to have keys and passwords. And there are stories about rabbis that have experienced this. And some have died and some have come out of it where they're mad. You know, they lost their minds. But in the center of the um, six spheres above Malkut, it makes a cube. And this is what is called Metatron's cube. And this is, okay, this is, like I said, when I was coming out of this NAR movement, I wasn't in it very long because of what they were teaching. But, and I found out through uh, researching these third heaven experiences, this is what, they want to see. This is what the rabbis have been trying to duplicate where, <clears throat> excuse me, where Ezekiel sees the chariot uh, God on the th uh, chariot throne in Ezekiel chapter one. And so this is what the rabbis and other mystics are trying to duplicate. So they call it chariot mysticism or Merkaba mysticism. And Merkaba is Metatron's chariot or Metatron's cube. And Metatron is the one who, like I said, the, they say he's the little Yahweh and he holds the keys of knowledge. So there again, it's salvation through um, ascending degrees of knowledge, not through faith. 
Now, you mentioned uh, Jonathan Kahn, I believe is his name, and he wrote The Harbinger. It's a pretty famous book, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, okay. <laughs> Jonathan Kahn, like I hate to name names, Jonathan Kahn promotes and teaches a lot of Kabbalah. Um, in his book, The Oracle, he, this book is based on what he calls the Jubilean Mysteries. And in the storyline of the book, let me back up, Stephen Strang, who was also part of this return, he publishes Strang Communications, Charisma Magazine, uh, they publish all of Jonathan Kahn's books. And there's a disclaimer at the beginning of all these books, including the first Harbinger. Now Jonathan Kahn has the Harbinger too, the return. And it appears to me, Jason, that these books are written as a blueprint, as a way to kind of guide Christians in the direction that these men want them to go. And there are so many uh, similarities between Jonathan Kahn's books and the terms and the plans of Freemasonry. And so there's a disclaimer in these books at the beginning of each one, even though they're fiction, Strang Communications, Stephen Strang has put in these books, what you're about to read is written in the form of a fictional narrative i'm paraphrasing okay it's written in the form of fiction but but everything in the book is absolutely real okay so jonathan Kahn's book the oracle this is the one that really i couldn't believe i've read every book i, I i'm reading the harbinger too now the return and this is what his big return meeting back in, I think, September was all based on. And that was a political thing as well to get Christians together in unity to do whatever they wanted to do. It didn't work out. But um, I've read The Paradigm. But this book, The Oracle, let me just set the stage. This traveler, it's always revealing mysteries. I mean, there's so many mysteries in his books. It just never ends. This traveler is given uh, a set like keys. He has visions and there's seven doorways, just like on the Kabbalah tree. And he's got to have these keys or passwords to go through each one of these doorways, just like on the Sephirot tree. And there's angels involved here. He writes about the chamber of hewn stone in the Oracle. He writes about the necessity of the church. This is a chapter called the uh, metamorphosis of the stained glass woman. This is about the necessity of the transformation of Christianity and that Christianity must return to its Jewish roots. Okay. Just like Shapira. Khan doesn't, Jonathan Khan doesn't go as far to say that the rest will be killed who don't, but he says only a remnant will go back to their Hebrew Jewish roots. 
And this is part of God's plan. This is part of the return that Christians have to return to their Hebrew roots. Now, there is another chapter in the Oracle. It's called the Jubilee and Code. This one blew me away. I have this on my website. If anybody wants to read what I'm saying, it's on my website, which we can give when we're finished here. A lengthy expose of all, not all, but much of the Kabbalah that Jonathan Kahn promotes. In the Jubilee and Code, a chapter within the Oracle, Jonathan Kahn lays out this mystical timeline of the it's based on a verse in Leviticus it might be Leviticus 25:10 and this word tashavu which means return and this traveler has to decode this mystery and he's given keys that look like letters to unlock these secret doorways well, Jonathan Kahn has publicly stated many times, I mean, people are like, wow, you know, how do you get this? And he goes, oh, it just comes as a download from God. Well, this particular mystery in the Oracle about the word Tashavu and the missing Vav, that's the, I believe this, it's the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it has the um, numerical value of six. And there's a missing Vav in this Tashavu letter, supposedly, that was, you know, encoded or, de you know, encrypted when God wrote the Bible. And it gave the date for the reestablishment of the state of Israel in 1948. It was hidden in there years ago. This story comes from the Zohar, word for word. And I show it in this article I've written. Jonathan Kahn did not get it from a download from God. He did not come up with it. It is a Zohar Kabbalistic fable, all based on the missing Vav and this return. And if you notice, if you're paying attention, many, many of these pastors, each Sakshapira, um, Jonathan Kahn, the need to return. Return to what? Well, return to ju basically Judaism and the Noahide laws. Kahn doesn't teach Noahide laws and neither does Isaac Shapira. But so many are talking about this return. And this is all coming from the Zohar. And the Vav is central. I show in the book that the Vav, the letter Vav, is the middle pillar of the Sephirot tree. And it is what connects heaven and earth. And it's basically Leviathan and the serpent that's going to connect and, you know, through technology. I mean, some of this stuff, it gets deep and it's hard to understand. And I don't want to go too deep with it, but I'm just making the connections that this letter Bob, this six, and the rabbis themselves admit, you know, that there's a big emphasis on 666 and this missing Bob, which equals six, and Bob is Metatron's number, and it's the number of creation, and it's the number of redemption, and there's so much emphasis on this six and 666. 
I'm not saying that's the mark of the beast. I'm only putting it out there what they say. So yes, and uh, Jonathan Kahn, he wrote the book of mysteries. There is actually a, an ancient Kabbalistic book called the book of mysteries. It's called the Sefer HaRazim. And it's an ancient book of mysteries that falls under this umbrella of Kabbalah. Kabbalah is the system. The books under it are like the Zohar, the Sefer Yetzirah, the Sefer HaRazim and other books. And in the Book of Mysteries, Khan talks about, uh, I mean, all kinds of things like the secret, you know, the mystery of the six-pointed star. It's not a mystery for those initiated into the, cult, the occult. And those of us probably like you and myself and others, we've done our research. We know what the six-pointed star is. But to the unsuspecting Christians who read these books, it's... This is what Alice Bailey said in her book, Initiation, Human and Solar. Now, she wrote her books, I think she was channeling demons. Dewal Cool was her master, a demonic spirit. And she wrote these books channeled from the spirit world between, I think it was like either the late 1920s or early 30s up into the 1950s. Her books are a main staple of the United Nations. But she said that it would not be very long before the most basic initiations of this Lord of the World, Theosophy, and Kabbalah would be taking place in the church, in the evangelical church. And that at the head of all branches of the church would be a master of this new world order and a master initiate. And this is what I, this is what I believe Jonathan Kahn's books are. These are the low level initiation, the beginnings of the low level initiation into all this. And so I'm sorry, I don't mean to be harsh. I, I wouldn't trust any of these people, these well-known evangelists, televangelists, any who have major platforms. And if you are going to listen to them, just take everything they say back to the Bible and stand with Jesus and the word of God. Well, you can't get any better advice than that for sure. And I was thinking uh, while you were talking about the, those books and uh, you'd mentioned in the book, the traveler and in Freemasonry, you know, they, they call them traveling men and they're always traveling from the West to the East in search of light. So anytime I hear someone say traveling or something like uh, on the level or on the square, I learned that there's all these little Masonic words that they actually will use from time to time to kind of let one another know they're Freemasons or when they're writing, let, you know, only certain people know that they are, you know, brothers. And so uh, I just wonder if perhaps, you know, he may be one of the Freemasons or maybe he's just a Kabbalist, uh, you know, which is very similar, but uh, yeah, the, your book's just fantastic. And it opens up so many, avenues and i you know i think once people start understanding kabbalah and understanding some of the symbolism behind it uh, 
a lot of other, other things that they've seen in the media and seen on online and in movies uh, are going to start to make more sense. And um, I think that that is, they need to understand. We need, like you were saying, uh, talking about discernment, you know, I tell people we need to pray for discernment. You know, mm-hmm. it says, uh, what is that verse? Uh, My people perish for lack of understanding. I- Yes, Hosea 4, 6, I think, one of my favorite verses. And it's true. I mean, because you see how easily the masses are fooled. Like I follow politics and you know, I'm pretty passionate about it, but I follow politics and I see how easily both sides are just, they believe these things that these presidents and these uh, figures, uh, t- they believe what they say because they want to believe what they say, you know, and and, and we're only given two sides, so it keeps us at each other's throats. And uh, if people don't understand these things and don't understand this hidden uh, esoteric knowledge, or at least some of it, uh, they really don't understand half of what's going on. Because uh, I think you said that they've probably been using these techniques and using this hidden knowledge for probably several thousand years on the, on the people. And, you know, to rule people, if you know this hidden uh, information and you don't give it to them then that's a way of you know controlling them and tricking them and, and, and keeping them confused so i highly recommend people buy the book is there any other things that you'd like to mention about it that uh, that you didn't talk about um no i just uh, i want to say that i appreciate what you're doing and um you know whether it's freemasonry or theosophy uh, the teachings and the writings of Alice Bailey and uh, Helena Blavatsky or Kabbalah, which really all, all of these run hand in hand with uh, new age teachings. I can say that um, there, there was coming out of each of these streams or movements, they said that there would come a time when they would release these secrets on a global scale. And that's what the Zohar prophecy is about. Uh, Alice Bailey said the same thing. I'm sure Manley Hall said it. And this was to achieve almost a condition of what I call it critical mass, because that's what they call it, to get enough people to join together to believe it. And that gives some kind of, at least in their estimation, some kind of a, a, a spiritual uh, power to bring some of this stuff about. But, you know, it's we as Christians, we know God is completely in control. We, we operate by faith, okay? Um, and we don't need to, to fear, but we just need to be aware that there is a planned agenda. Like you said, it's been going on for thousands of years and now is the time they have released their secrets and God is allowing it, but it's our place to recognize it, stand against it, pray, and, you know, just look to the father through Jesus Christ and, uh, and be that light to those who are lost in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, and you're right. It's, you see all these different belief systems coming together and they all have the utopian idea. And even, even the Q movement had that same new age utopian idea that 
the Theosophical Society and, and Kabbalists have and Freemasons have. So people need to start looking around at people that aren't believers, because I'm never going to you know, try and shove my faith down someone's throat. But I would just tell anyone who's listening who isn't a Christian and doesn't want to have anything to do with Christianity, at least ask yourself why all of these other sets of belief systems, including our government and these large corporations that are really joined in with the government and, and seem to be creating some sort of type of fascist uh, governing mm -hmm. system, ask yourself why they all have similar beliefs and their one common goal that they have or one common enemy is Jesus and Christianity. And I'm talking real Christianity, uh, not these uh, charlatans on TV like Deanne was talking about and, and these other guys who were teaching Kabbalah and New Age spiritualism and different things like that. So, yeah, ask yourself why that is happening. And uh, I guess I'll just ask you, uh, Deanne, if you'd like to give your website and tell people where they can get your book and possibly communicate with you if they'd like to. Yes, um, thank you. You just made a great uh, ending point there. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, the book is available at Amazon. I've been trying to get it on other um, media platforms, but just Amazon. It's Kabbalah Secrets Christians Need to Know. Um, Deanne Loper. And I do have a, a blog type of website by the same name, Kabbalah Secrets Christians Need to Know. Com. And uh, you can read several of my articles on there. Um, I'm on Facebook under Deanne Michelle Loper. I usually give that out. I had some issues with um, people I didn't know. Let's just leave it at that coming in on, on through some of my emails. And I just kind of had to not give that out anymore. But I, I am on Facebook and happy to speak with people through that um, avenue if they have questions. Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely put your information in the show notes. And uh, I, I just thank you so much for coming and talking about this. And I'd, I'd love to have you on in the future if you'd be willing to. I think that um, with Kabbalah, there are so many different levels of it and so many things to un understand. We've just kind of scratched the surface, but to do too much would just confuse people. And so I would just advise people to pick up your book and uh, start looking into these things themselves. And I think they'll be amazed that the world that it opens up and it's kind of scary to realize there's so, so many of these hidden things that are basically hidden in plain sight nowadays, but um, it'll really open your eyes. So thank you once again, Deanne. I appreciate it so much and I hope to talk to you very soon. God bless you. God bless you. Well, that concludes my interview with Deanne Loper, author of Kabbalah Secrets, Christians Need to Know. And I appreciate you listening. I apologize for that noise on her end. She was having some problems with her microphone, and we had already had to reschedule the program once. So I did not want to miss having that interview with her. So I hope that you could get past that and enjoy the information provided. I know I've been getting really Jesus-y with the last few episodes, and I know that's probably turning off some people, but hey, it is what it is. I'm afraid my buddies at Alternate Current Radio are thinking I'm trying to turn into the next Tex Mars or something, but, uh, and I don't know, maybe I will. Who knows? I, I'm just getting people on that I think are interesting. 
And I'd heard her in several interviews before I got the book. And the interviews were so interesting to me because I wasn't aware of a lot of that stuff. A lot of the symbology regarding Kabbalah, even though I had a couple other books, it just, it, it, it opened my eyes to some things that I think other people need to know. So anyway, it really is. It's like this. It doesn't matter if you believe in Christianity. It doesn't matter if you're a Kabbalist, a Theosophist, a New Ager, a member of the Golden Dawn, a Rosicrucian, a Freemason. It doesn't matter because those people believe it. Those people believe it. And the occult is pushing towards this Armageddon type scenario. Now, they may think it's not going to be quite like an Armageddon, but they are definitely pushing towards order out of chaos. And I don't believe they care if there's an apocalypse before their order, before their planned utopia. Remember, many of them think that they are rebuilding Atlantis. They are building the new utopia. So anyway... I hope that you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. And I want to thank Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence for becoming a patron saint, a member of the Society of Cryptic Savants. And I want to thank James, another patron saint, for becoming the first, the first subscriber to the Society of the Cryptic Savants. So if you're interested also in becoming a member, it's patreon.com slash the odd man out what i'm doing is i'm putting extra content over there extra posts extra videos and things that are becoming harder and harder to post on social media and if you follow me on instagram you've noticed that i don't post on there very often anymore because i keep getting censored so anyway i appreciate all you listening and uh, i want to end with this quick quote from Morals and Dogma by Albert Pike on the Kabbalah. He says, Masonry is a search after light. That search leads us directly back, as you see, to Kabbalah. Not only is Kabbalah the key of the occult sciences, but that this key turns on the secret science of numbers. Now, that's one thing that Deanne and I didn't talk about very much science in regards to Kabbalah. And you see those two terms together in books written by Kabbalists very often. And of course, now we're supposed to trust the science like never before. And I would just suggest that the word science should be spelled, the S should have the dollar sign, the C should have the corporation sign. Because we know that much of science is controlled by the Corporati and GovCorp, and they are linked together in so many ways. So trust the science has become the new motto for obey. So anyway, guys, thank you for listening. I can't wait for the next episode. I've been working extra hard on it. It's just me on that one. And it is an episode with examples of all these different experiments and unethical things that our beloved government has done to us over time. Of course, I can't name every single one in there, but I'm trying to be pretty thorough. And it's really aimed towards those people who say 
they would never do that to us because you still hear that all the time. You hear it, especially from the left right now with face masks and the vax and all these different things. But even people on the right say it too. So anyway, I know you'll enjoy that if you get a chance to listen to that. I'm going to try to have that done in the next few days. And other than that, I just want to say cheers and blessings to you all. And remember, their order is not our order. See you next time.